I strongly advise against activation. Barry, I'm initiating the countdown. Five. Five. This is a bad idea. Oh, it is. Keep going. Four. 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 We need to abort now. Just do it. Three. Three. Two. Two. This course is irreversible. One. 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 This action is irreversible. Welcome, I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Zack Snyder's Justice League by the minute. Part five, a part that needs no introduction. Just an opportunity to speak about our love for horses, and I think we can safely say Zack Snyder's acknowledgement thereof. Yeah, um, interestingly, I I don't know if you have done this yet, but I I did some scrubbing of the movie to look for horses uh, due to... Uh, their immense popularity over at BVS by the minute. No, no scrubbing needed. I, I was scrubbing as I watched it, <laughs> and uh, and there are there are quite a few in hidden in the margins. Interestingly, I'm not. I think this is one of the only chapters that doesn't have a horse in it, unless I missed it, except for the chapter name. You did miss it. Uh, Diana's funeral. Oh yes, There's you're one, right. Uh, I go. believe it was called out as potential bat ears uh, online, but then was revealed no, that's just a horse from the back. Yeah, there's there are horses all. I guarantee you. Now, anytime we say that, we should probably say that if we can't find them, so people will be like, "There's horses everywhere. Look!" Um, yeah, and then everyone wins because there's more horses. And you're right. I did I did spot that horse before, so I don't know. I'll have to find. I think there was one chapter that didn't have any. Maybe maybe the next one. But regardless, yeah. Horses. I, w- I guess I would I would hope, boy, considering where this one goes, I guess it's good that we get one in there right away. I would assume the odds are high that the next part six, something darker, would not have horses in it. However, I mean, that's just willing them into existence. So anyway, enough talking about horses. Just kidding. There will be more. But let us begin our breakdown of part five, All the King's Horses. Listeners to the podcast can find our live commentary, our watch party commentary of, of the movie, and can probably appreciate how big a laugh this movie got from us coming out of the intermission. That, on repeat viewing, does continue to seem to be really, really queued up well for Barry. Yeah, it's. I think we commented on this with his introduction. His his humor is a really... It, compared to like the humor in, in BVS, that's way more like sarcastic and and witty it's kind of crazy that his humor is as just straight up humorous or goofy i guess as it is (laughs) without like entirely breaking or destroying the tone as a character he really makes a lot of sense and and something we're going to see a lot of this in this minute particularly is the fact that they even paired him with cyborg that complements that or draws it out in a way you'd think that would be the least tonally compatible duo but it's one of the probably the duos that you're more interested in seeing more of after this section. Yeah, the result is you end up realizing that these characters have their own chemistry, even if it's not, you know, chemistry in like the most broad or, or instantly, uh, you know, what people usually mean when they say that. But we have it in this scene with with Barry and Cyborg as two people who are I guess it's like Cyborg stoicism almost invites more from Barry and yeah. knowing what we know about Vic, like he needs that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and there's also a little bit of 
there's so much in common with their sort of origins or how they sort of exist as a as a character as a hero specifically and they don't tell Barry's origin explicitly in this movie but it's really easy to forget how young Cyborg is I think because of how much growing up he has to do so fast like they let Barry be young this college age kid whereas Cyborg already had to be kind of an adult before his accident even happened. And then that removed him. It made him grow up and it kind of removed him from sort of the being able to be a kid yet that they can put them together here and they make so much sense and also don't, but they do because, because they, they don't in a way that uh, it, it's really cool. And then the, they do the exact same thing. There's a lot of pairing of, of characters in here to bounce the, to, to show the chemistry, like you said, cause you have Barry and, Victor, and then you have Arthur and Diana at like over by the van, also having a, a conversation in a way that develops both of their characters and Amazon and Atlantean societies, like at the same time. Yet you wouldn't exactly expect them to be lo- a logical pairing either. Yeah, they they have a, a sort of surprise meeting here as equals, while at the same time it's just like the the little stuff done there is that. Vic gets to say, you know, it's just a great line. Everyone's an, everyone's a younger guy, but he had that interaction with Diana before. So it's it's like the the way that these characters bounce into each other is is really neat. And now we've got Arthur and Diana. That is this moment of obviously shared experience between them. It's a very Wonder Woman note uh, yeah. to have between them there. Well, and this is a really good example of the kind of stuff that makes this a four hour movie. Yeah, And when people complain about runtime or say that this is too long or whatever, and then you compare this kind of character development to a two and a half hour team up movie, even if you've got the solo movies, there still needs to be a level of kind of putting these characters on their on their own feet in this like new movie. And in other franchises or in other movies, you often kind of see them. They'll have like a round table discussion like we had. They would have used, which I guess in the <laughs> every yeah. week, every time I'm going to bring it up. Like they in the Whedon cut, they took the 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 scene that ended the last chapter around the table. They removed that in favor of a scene that had way more character building of or attempted character building, I guess you should say, with Cyborg cracking wise and uh, Aquaman is a pickpocket, I guess. And then Bruce (laughs) and Diana have that confrontation in front of the rest of the team and Flash is making quips. And so they'll they'll create these scenes. So instead of having taking the time to do Barry and Victor, Arthur and Diana, Bruce and Alfred, etc. They they'll just say like, Oh, here's a scene with everyone just doing their stereotypical character shtick at the same time. There's yeah. your character development and two and a half hours. And, uh, this is a, a phenomenal example of the kind of stuff you get when you let it breathe. Yeah. And also a really fun bit of like Terio writing where it's like, um, you know, my, my dad told me there was an Atlantis saying, none are taken from the darkness without giving one back in return. And Diana's like, oh, we say the same thing. And they're like, hey, how about that? And then us watching her like, wait, what? Stop, go back. What was that saying? Like, are, are we talking about Superman here? Like, this seems actually like you just dropped the most ominous thing with both characters smiling about this weird realization they've come to that only after you watch it again, you're like, oh, no, that's actually... 
telegraphing a, a lot of what Zach is building here too. But it's a fun scene, uh, as anyone you know exhuming Superman's corpse would be. But um, I think we we have to talk about Bruce and Alfred here because this is another reason why I'm super excited that we did BVS by the minute. And it is impossible now for me not to see this scene as like a painstakingly produced uh, callback to the last time that Bruce and Alfred were in the quote-unquote Batcave around the Batmobile talking about why Bruce was failing to see reason. Well, and isn't it a, it's a, it's a direct flip in every... Wasn't Alfred working on the Batmobile in that one? Uh, yes, yeah. And and here their their positioning in the shots is is the same. Yeah, and so it literally flips that scene to where Alfred is being the cynic and Bruce is saying, "I'm operating on faith," which is a total flip of his. If there's a one percent chance, we have to take it as a uh, absolute certainty. Which I guess, in a way, that's a twisted version of faith. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it's just showing like I mean, it, it allows Alfred the dignity of being like the worried parent, right? Uh, that. He's saying, you know, you did it. Like, you've done everything. Don't you think you might not be actually thinking reasonably now, though, because you're just so uh, the opposite of cynical? (laughs) You're like, you are just failing to see reason because you swung so far the other way. And we like Bruce, but we also have seen the nightmare, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we know that, oh, damn, Alfred might actually be right to be worried here because he says, I'm I'm not operating on reason. And that is like, no, Bruce, we were begging in the last movie for you to just see reason. <laughs> yeah. And you did. And I, and I think also, interestingly, we as we pointed out in BVS by the minute, Alfred is not conf- is not in the nightmare. Yeah. And so that adds another interesting layer to this. We've, you know, we see a lot of people later on in this movie in the nightmare and Alfred is one of the, one of the few characters in the whole movie other than Lois Lane, ominously, who, who does not, there is no nightmare version of Alfred. However much I, I tweeted that one time, I'll someone go find that of him wearing like a cowboy hat or something. <laughs> it's just like a, a Photoshop. But yeah. So the fact that, like you said, we kind of know how this goes and how it goes for Alfred, it is a little bit more ominous there. Yeah, and I think it's just a it's a fun detail of looking at Bruce's journey, and it, it is it is a true Batman story in that when Bruce Wayne finally finds his faith, the belief has replaced the cynicism, and and you know just totally unrestrained optimism has taken the place of his skepticism. He is he is flying high and never in more danger uh, of, of seeing something truly horrible befall him. Well, and that's what makes Alfred so perfect of a companion for him. Because, I th- as we pointed out in the first or second chapter, that they very much switched places in a lot of ways, and that Alfred could very easily be full-on team like supporting Bruce now, which would be more like where he was in BVS. Uh, but that's but not his, but that's not his role. He knows that he has to act as a counterweight yeah, to control or, or to, to rein in Bruce's impulses. And I think that in a way, I think Bruce trusts him to do that. And he leans on it, knowing that like Alfred is holding, like he's a, uh, is on Blay Blay on <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like a climber, and Alfred's got his rope, and he's like, "Okay, so I can just free fall, or I can like free climb here, and I know you've got my back." 
and it it allows him to be the kind of Batman that he can only be if he's not the one responsible for reigning in his own impulses. Yeah. And for all, you know, we said we would love more Alfred and Bruce. It is a really, it's a good moment of characterization for Alfred where we realize that in BVS, his role was not to try to get Bruce to change his mind. It was to just be that check for him in, in either direction. Like you're saying, it's it's a really cool, that is his role is to be his conscience. Even well, if that is pulling him down or trying to pull him back up. And I know they're in the Wayne Aerospace hangar now, which is, by the way, absolutely, like the fact that they shot that on a, on a mostly real set, I think really shows wild, off, even yeah. though they're not fully utilizing it, there's, there's an element to the lighting and the, I, I, I have to call out, you said, Bruce is working in the Batmobile. Alfred is permanently working on something that doesn't work, yeah. which is when we meet him, he's working on this layer of tech in the Batsuit that isn't working, Funnel Fairy Butter Bar, and now it's, it, how are things, oh yeah, if this thing is not going to fly today, like he's just permanently a state of fixing things Trying to fix that are Bruce. broken. There you go. And Bruce among them. I, I think that uh, as anyone who listened to like our trailer breakdowns back before the, the movie was released will know that this uh, this Terio dialogue here is also a, like, throughout the entire and <laughs> wait and anticipation for this movie, there was this, you know, we, oh, we want more Alfred, we want more Terio dialogue, and that was kind of lacking in the original version, or the, the theatrical version. And then we saw this scene in, the, in the, or this, the, if you want to take down a charging bull, don't wave the, wave the red cape at it. It is so... It's so Terrio and so Irons, and my understanding is that they Irons is a is a big fan of the the dialogue Terrio wrote for him, as I would be also. Like they there was and, and Terrio loved writing for Alfred, and so it really really shines in scenes like this. And I just remember that moment of being like, oh, that's right, this is the kind of stuff that is in these movies, and I didn't even know to be ex- I forgot to be excited for that, and it was such a great like, oh yeah, this is gonna be. This is going to be good, and then it is. It's such a great scene, and it's it's also crazy how um, this looks really, really good in the Justice's Gray black and white version, and you can kind of see the strength of that, like the noir lighting and the just the high contrast in the in the color version is just it's perfect. It's a beautiful scene. We go from this to do we go from this to my favorite joke in the movie? That depends on what your favorite horse. Right, favorite horse. <laughs> Depends on what your favorite joke in the movie oh, is. Wow. <laughs> um, I know that we we go from. I think they're they're putting the body in the coffin, but I think we move from that yeah. to Barry trying to hit out his costumes. Option. What might be like the most old fashioned, but also one of the best jokes, which is option A, definitely not A, or B. Show me yeah. A again. <laughs> uh, that's just like, and the way the camera clips past them just as it's dropped is just like, this is when Zach had talked about how this was going to be a, a lighter and more was going to revel in, in the fun between these characters. I think this is a great example of like, it's, it's the kind of joke. I don't think Jason Momoa could ever get the credit he deserves for delivering this joke the way he does. Yeah. The timing on I that, guess like, is what the way he sucks his lips. And like the, the grin, like the little like sneer and like stare he gives at him like the judging eyes Ugh, it's it's almost it's a perfect. jim helpert look at the camera moment yeah <laughs> and um and again 
one of our first looks at uh, at Aquaman Arthur really softening in a way that is fun. That that is showing that he has more fun to him. Not that he's just this gruff guy with a softer side, or he uses humor as like you know armor or, or, or that kind of thing. This is just a moment that we're getting to see that is showing him loosening up. And we get a lot more of those as the story goes on with Barry again, because, of course, Barry is going to pull that out of everyone uh, when he is just being himself opposite other people. Fortunately, we follow it up with one of the best lines that Vic gets in the entire movie when Diana says that everyone should get dressed. And he says, uh, I'm always dressed. Well, and again, even in that short moment, we get that that we continue with that bouncing two characters off each other even in the same what is this the same shot right of we get barry and arthur and then we get diana and cyber once again that's a that's two different combinations we've we've had diana and arthur or in diana and and cyborg before well and that's but, when he was gesturing at his body and saying what part of this is a gift yeah. and they was literally saying i'm i'm always dressed yeah. uh for action and then we get bruce looking adorable they they go to infiltrate the base. We get more Barry uh, being Barry. This is, is yep. It's it's fun. We get. I think the the big thing that stands out here probably. I know that you've mentioned it before. Is that moment where uh, between Vic and Silas? Yeah, when which, which we've been building towards. I guess longer than we realize we yeah, have. Silas's story. Every time he comes back, I I I love it. I think it was Ray Fisher that pointed it out. But if you pay attention, whenever Cyborg talks, not every single time necessarily, but most of the scenes where he's talking, he he's very specific about like which eye he's looking at them out of, basically, or which side of the face is pointing at the camera. And in this one, when he walks past Silas, he's almost coldly walks by him, and there's a moment of tension of where do these guys stand, and are they going to see each As other the, again? The red glowing eye is staring him down, I believe. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and he walks past and it's with the, it's with the, well, it's with the, the cyborg side is when he walks past, but then after he walks far enough and it's interesting because I, I watched it knowing that that was a thing they were going to play off on when we're yeah. preparing for this. And I, and I was like, how is he going? That turn is going to be really awkward until I realized how far they had him walk so that it was natural for him to look back over his shoulder at him. And he looks back o- nod, over yeah. his right shoulder to show him the human side of his face to give him the nod of approval from his son. And uh, spoiler alert, that's the last time they see each other. Or not the last, but maybe before, before the last time. <laughs> yeah, that is another inversion of Clark, where the last exchange he had with his father was of reconciliation. Yeah. And understanding, which which makes it then even more tragic when we get back. But we have some other stuff to cover before then. I don't know if there is a part of the movie that I was waiting for without realizing that I was more than returning to the Kryptonian ship. Yeah. The Zimmer, like the soundscapes that, that are going on in the ship and the way that y- you instantly bring people back to man of steel just from that that set is just so iconic and then also doing the literal beats of the you know the crash the the one with the the dead guy and all of that and flashes i got goosebumps the first time i heard it, it knows he's here that is like man that is exactly how you treat superman like this is uh, you and you have to earn that. We're going to be talking about this uh, so much when we get to these minutes, just at length. But 
you have to earn the fact that the Flash and Batman and Wonder Woman and Aquaman are carrying a god. Yeah. Like between them. That that is that even if they see him as they're talking about him as a guy, he is so powerful that his presence is altering things around him that neither they nor the audience can either understand or question. You just have to go along with it because he's Superman in a pine box. Yeah. Well, it's so <laughs> mythological, too. It's a very I know it's not explicitly Arthurian necessarily. He's hovering. But it, just the idea of <laughs> of his presence being you know, is presenting the suits to him. It's like, oh, this is yours. <laughs> this is for you. This is meant for you to put on. I will note, we'll come back to it. There's a lady's armor there. Yeah. And an open and that pod. That is something that, yes. Hmm. Hmm. We, we did talk about a lot of this stuff. Uh, I think the things that jump out immediately in our like watch party commentary, because it's hard not to comment on those things that are happening. The choice to have Aquaman place Clark's body into the water and then press him back in is just like, that's, you can't, like, I, that, they could have not had that and I wouldn't have noticed probably. But the fact that they do, they have that character um, giving him this like burial at sea and uh, it's, one thing after another I love from this scene. Well, and it's interesting how they give each character a yeah a, a reason or a thing to do in this scene. And it's not just busy work or it's not, hey, you need something. So here, look at this. Yeah. Where Barry's running, Cyborg's operating the computer, Arthur is down in the amniotic fluid or whatever, put, pushing yep. around. Um then you have Batman just like driving. No, do it. Batman and Diana looking at each other. Well, you have you have Diana <laughs> watching very very much like a like as an observer as a I don't know. It feels very ethereal almost. Of she's just kind of witnessing this event. Like the fact that she's not really involved. Well, I know I just said they gave everyone something something to do, but the fact that she is her role is to watch. Yeah, it. and then but then you have Batman. Do it is like so. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone has a, like, a function. Obviously, we move, <laughs> like, we, we we spoke about the vision, this this return to the nightmare for Cyborg uh, at length in our spoilers discussion of the movie, so we don't have to retread that. I'll, I'll just continue to say this looks fantastic and the justice is gray, and, um, man, I love watching this every single time, especially just what is added where... All that comes out of this sequence is uncertainty now. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, the the line from Excalibur, the future has taken root in the present. I, I think that that's going to be a fun line to dissect like word by word because it just implies that these people are no longer in control of what is happening. They are passengers to what they've done. And I, I took a couple watches before I even caught it. This is the type of thing that I'm sure you were all about. The the fact that the entire thing happens because Cyborg says no. He sees the no. vision. Yeah. And he goes, no. And Barry yeah. goes, go? <laughs> just- yeah. And then the robot just drops the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's. It's insane. Not to not to skip past the nightmare, but just the level of ominousness there is there. And and Cyborg is the only one who experiences it. And you wonder 
if there wasn't that miscommunication, would he have said, hold on, let me tell you what I just saw. And just to make it clear, this, like, if people think this is a what if, this is a possible outcome, this is something that they can work against, you have Carla Gugino's voice repeating over and over, this outcome is irreversible. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is irreversible. Like, the audience, us included, the dumb saps, go on watching the rest of the movie thinking... Uh, they don't, I mean, you know, that, that's just like could happen, right? It's not like you can see the, the mother boxes, you know, form the unity and then wipe out the planet and then just like undo that. And then still everything else can still happen, right? That's totally not, right. no, I can't. We can go on about these, uh, every single one of these shots is is incredible, whether it's Wonder Woman being burned, question mark, um, Darkseid's arrival, the Amazons. Well, I think I mean, this is, we see Darkseid for the first time outside of, so we saw him as Yuxas without the armor and without the Omega yeah. beams. And then here you see him on his King Conan throne. Yeah, exactly. It's straight out of King Conan. And we have the Omega beams under killing Volko and uh, Arthur. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then, and then obviously with Superman on his knees and there's yeah. such a level in the back cave. Yeah. I, I am curious about this because we've, we got, this is actually one of the first things that was, that was teased when Dave, the film junkie and I leaked that storyboard that, the rest of this scene, like you look at that and you think like, that's the King Conan shot is that storyboard. And because of the nature of how much of this was completed, like it wasn't done for the theatrical cut. It, it has a vision. It's almost like the Watchmen opening and the way that it's like this, this surreal. Yeah. The way it, it feels different. Yeah, exactly. But, and I, and I'm very curious to know if that was always aesthetically the right. way that it was going to be done. Cause you have stuff like the Superman shot that's repurposed, for example, that if they had been able to shoot Superman and, and do dialect, would they have done more there? Or was it always meant to be this way? Cause this is, if this was done by necessity, it's, it's so cool that that's kind of what he had to do because it brings this level of, of pro it's, it's prophetic and it's, yeah. and it's our artistry. <laughs> That it it feels if it was just like a flat if it was like the the BVS nightmare or something like that, it I, it wouldn't have landed exactly the same way. But there's this level of weight it has because it's it's, uh, it's so surreal. Then it's quickly replaced by hey rah rah exhilarating run from the Flash. Everything is good. Suggestion of time travel. Uh, this is just it, it cranks. I mean, it puts the pedal to the metal right where the future has taken root in the present. Superman returns that was another good bit was the the description of well i can go really fast and i don't know weird things happen to time and happen right like there's no (laughs) there's no well the the polarity of the tachyon particles combusts at it like no it's just weird stuff happens to time and i and i love it you know we we talked previously about how you can't have superman back without lois and so we get lois first returning to the living you yeah. know, as as Martha said, well, um, with the pregnancy test tease. Yes, not alone. She has a very specific reason to return to the living to take one last trip to the place where you know she lost Superman and say her goodbyes. I suppose, ironically, 
no sooner has she decided to go back to the living and say goodbye to Superman that she says hello to Superman having returned to the living uh, with this massive fight sequence that I don't know if there's like if there are specific things you you want to call out in the fight scene now, like we're going to be, yeah, I don't no. want to kind of spoil the fun of breaking this thing down, like punch by punch or beat by beat. But um, I think the biggest thing is just that as I've been calling out all of the individual character pairings they've been doing, they again create scenarios where each character gets to interact with Superman one-on-one. And... Uh, that's just, try it, to it's just a, yeah it's or yeah exactly it's a cool way to uh, quickly establish an a, a relationship between each of them and him and also kind of showcase a number of different powers he has i don't know is he resisting the lasso or does that, that that's a really interesting implication that that doesn't bring him to his senses in a way like there's a t that you'd think for a second that he's going to to come to because of the lasso but he seems to almost be be resistant to it, or maybe that just shows how I don't know resilient his uh, his mind is or, or the issue is with him. Well, I mean, even people who have listened to our our talk on BVS is remember who you are is like lady. If you think that is a, a resolved issue, yeah, who uh, is he? After he's just woken up, um, give me a break. Yeah, one wonders where she learned that his name is Kal El. I always yeah. thought that that didn't get enough. Um, examination considering that he died before they really got to talk of any meaningful substance yeah but the the one thing i do want to call out from this is the second time i watched the movie and we can we can hold off to get into this when, when we do talk about it unless you want to get sharing this with me i remember going back and rewatching it to see like what was the scan of cyborg like what did it actually show thinking that there might be some like cool little bits in there and there wasn't anything and so then I like press play and was sitting there thinking like that's why would they that actually does seem weird because that was in the theatrical cut and like I don't know why he did that MRI scan like what would he be checking for yeah like I can't actually figure that out unless it's supposed to imply like some kind of like he's he's woken up with more of an alien like he doesn't know how to look at people or diagnose what's with them and then like just because my brain was on that exact wavelength that then when he and lois have their scene together i couldn't then and now i can't not watch it as very explicitly him noticing she's pregnant right she even gives him like a nod when when he's staring at her of like yeah, believe it. Now, I mean, maybe it's because I've gone through this in, in real life. The expression on his face is playing it completely like he's just found out that he's going to be a father. So now that is the only way I can talk about it. And I'm super excited now to to dissect every single one of those looks, probably with like timestamps down to like, and here he's like thinking, is this real? Like, how is this, how is this possible? And then he would be thinking like, oh, I know how long I've been gone then. Yeah. Like, I, this has to be relatively recently. And then she just says, you know, please, let's just leave. And with, with, oh, I'm trying to think of how many words she says, five words, maybe. I am completely reminded of why I love this version of Clark and Lois and Henry Cavill and Amy Adams. And they give me the vibe of them in the washroom uh, from BVS, where I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. They had this connection. I th- I also love how that moment is a, is a reversal. Lots of reversals here of, uh, BVS, how you've got Superman standing over Batman, right? And 
Batman, interestingly, it's it's almost like he doesn't understand what he's trying to appeal to still. Like it's like he's remembering. He realizes in that moment, oh no! It's like I didn't think. Well, it's almost like he didn't <laughs> fully learn from the the Martha moment himself, where he's like, oh, I just say like Martha, right? But like, hey, we right, Clark, yeah, we need yeah. you. Like that's and going he'll to stop and see reason. Yeah, yeah, and only because he he doesn't comprehend that relationship that. Clark has with Lois and understanding that, that she's the key. And I think he comes to understand it in this moment. Yeah. But just like in BVS, you say, is the Martha moment really what, what snapped? <laughs> try, try not to dig too much into, into BVS now before we get to those minutes. But I think there's a legitimate question of did, did the word Martha really snap Bruce out of it? Or was it Lois showing up that snapped him out of it and getting in front of, him like his father got in front of Martha and and so the fact that that's what snaps Superman out and even the, their their positioning Superman is above him he's laying down begging for his life like it's 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 such an interesting reversal and I also have to say I will I will always be very curious how this would have worked in the original yeah. original version where Batman and Lois were in a relationship at this point yeah the inversion of Lois jumped in and said, it's his mother's name, and said, like, he's a son. That is so cool that now she's literally stepping in and what's doing it is you're a father. Yeah. And the, I think the theatrical cut plays it like Bruce brought her or, or something, right? Like, <laughs> do you want me to tell he you? He knew she was the key. I, I like what no. you're pointing out here where this is. Bruce is like, uh, like, if you, I'm, maybe I'll sample the audio and you'll hear in the background while she's saying, like, please, let's go. You'll hear, oh, she's the key. <laughs> Yeah, well, and there's a, I think what Zach said is that in, in the original, and I think it might be in the storyboards, in the, the, the original version of the story where Bruce and Lois were hooking up or whatever, after BVS. Wow. Why do I make it so crass, well, Stephen? After I mean, Bruce had, <laughs> had entered a relationship with Lois. Um. But yeah, after when 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 Bruce and Lois were courting, after after the death of her former betrothed, the the whole culmination of this whole thing, and I realize I'm digging deep here, but it ties to this moment directly and is not part of the story anymore, so it's not going to be relevant later. Is that the whole Lois is the key thing ties to the question of whether or not it's Bruce's baby or Clark's baby. And the message that Bruce tells Flash before he goes back to tell him is say no, because Lois, right before Flash appears, says, Bruce, it's not yours, it's Clark's. And then Flash appears and says, no, she was lying to you. And that's what makes Bruce sacrifice himself to save her and fix the timeline. Now, looking back, if, if that had been the direction the story took, imagine looking back on this moment now and realizing... Like all of the like, there's so many things going on here. All of a sudden, with the story, and I know it's controversial for the idea to to have the relationship. That's why they abandoned it. But you look at like what that story has to offer about. I mean, it's the the Lancelot and Arthur yeah, story, exactly. And I would have loved to see that version. I, I like this version too, and 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 everything. And so I'm not not to 
to dog what it became. But this moment is what makes me understand, oh, that is why this moment is why they made that originally wanted to go that direction creatively. Fortunately, the scene ends there. Now it is Silas's turn to be a hero. First by, I guess, knowing to conceal a mother box inside his coat and then uh, rushing it into the lab where we can assume he was going to mark the box. That was the plan. I'm going to mark the box because I've realized that's a smart thing to do. And then the circumstances of the scene require that he can't get himself out of harm's way. And you get, you know, another fantastic scene with Vic. Another callback to Man of Steel. Yes. And um, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Yep. Lots of good stuff. I think Steppenwolf is at his scariest here. Yeah. He's uh, when, so, <laughs> I think I have in my notes, Steppenwolf spiky. And spiky is in all caps. Spiky is, yeah. When he, I rewatched this and when he gets the box, um, my wife was watching it and started saying under her breath, feeling myself, I'm feeling myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling myself, I'm feeling myself, because he definitely is feeling himself. It is the beginning of the end. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's <laughs> it's like almost sexual, like how yeah. – I'm trying to choose my words carefully. Like how spiky he gets here. It's just every yeah. single little panel on his armor is just like fully pointy. Yep. Erect. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, yeah, pointy. Erected, erectedly pointy. Spiky. So many erect. spikes. I think it's like, I almost like how tropey the moment is of like, it wasn't. No, he knew. And like, they have this, you know, moment that like is, is a callback to an admittedly, I guess an odd scene that I didn't really even think about until we get here where it's like, oh yeah, they had that scene where the thing gets superheated. But it's a, I think it's a really fun plot beat uh, for this kind of story. Um, it's neat. It gives them something to hunt. Of course, Vic gets his line to close out the part of he's going to avenge his father in a far more literal way than Clark got to after watching him die. He says, let's go get the son of a bitch, which you can say, not explicit. <laughs> um, and, but I Cut think to black. The, the other big moment that you get, get here is Aquaman saying his father is dead because of us. Because that starts a character progression for him that travels. You can see that he bears the weight of that. And we don't really know why until the end of the movie um, when he says, I'm going to go see my dad. And which is the beginning of Zack setting up Aquaman to go off and do his own new story. So that's kind of cool. Also really appreciate the Lois Lane. Who? <laughs> uh, a nice reminder that while while she is an important person, she is uniquely important to Bruce. Like you're saying, like him saying that Diana has her opinion of Lois, obviously. But I always I always appreciate that. I was it always reminds me of uh, in in Twin Peaks many episodes into the season, and a character Leo is introduced to Dale Cooper, like the star of the show. They're like this is Agent Cooper. He's like, who the hell is he? And it's like, oh right. These characters have no idea who this person is, even though we've been watching them for what feels like years. It was a nice, refreshing thing to have, like, why, what? Like, who is this woman? This is Superman. There's also a moment here where it's one of the few moments where Zach seems to kind of thread that line that he normally avoids, where Aquaman is is like, his father's dead because of us, and Cyborg is just weeping, and... 
meanwhile, Flash goes, you got satellites? And Bruce goes, I have six. Like, it's... Right. It's... I yeah, I, and that's the thing. Hey, it's it's. Well, we'll talk about this. I, we can't get too granular, but the fact that he cuts to Flash when he's saying what he's going to do, and he's like, "I understand all you're talking about, but I guess maybe he doesn't count Bruce as a particularly intelligent person, right? He thinks he's just a billionaire. Yeah, who's a big tough guy, which admittedly he is. However, nice to be reminded that he's actually a really intelligent tech guy who knows how to work how to work this stuff. Yeah. That's actually like a small moment of Batman's higher level smarts, I guess, that we don't really get that much of. Anyway. <laughs> it, we we yeah. do get to see a lot of different sides of, of Batman in this movie that, while BVS is such a great Batman arc, it's very contained to, because he's sort of, he's so, he's such a pointed instrument in that, that you get a very specific slice of the way that he's operating. It's almost like he's lost touch with a lot of the different aspects that make him Batman. You know, he's not relying on these things. He's relying on his gut. And so the white Portuguese and all that. And so he's not taking the time to, to not, I don't know what he would have done a geothermal scan for, but I mean, the idea he's not solving it as Bruce, right? That was the point that Alfred made. Yeah. And then, and then in this movie, even just in this chapter alone, you've got him as Bruce interacting with Alfred talking about faith. You've got him, uh, encouraging Cyborg to keep on going with the boxes, which maybe isn't the smartest move on his part, but is driven by this sense of hope for Superman. You've got him pleading with Clark to tell him that the world needs him. You've got him talking about his satellites. Like There's so many great different Batman things in here. Great moment of levity when he realizes something's bleeding. <laughs> I hate you. Uh, yeah, and, and so it's 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 just really cool to to be able to get that broad of a portrayal of him out of this versus uh what we've seen to this point oh that's been him the whole movie too this is where comparing how he plays watching his father die to the vic that we saw earlier in the hallway one of those was cyborg and this is vic like even the way that he he moves and and like expresses is more human yeah well and the way but it almost the, he he's not always that robotic, but he, the way that he's animated here almost feels like T two or or like a T one Terminator stop motion sort of look. Did they do that in stop motion? But like you know what I mean, like that stop motion robot look. Oh yeah, and and it's it, where it's like the human part of him is not cooperating with the machine in the same way because like yeah. he's not yeah, and and also he's the machine's trying to keep up. He's yeah. got that huge tear that drops, which is such a. It's not subtle, obviously, because it's a it's a tear and it's big. You but, could miss it. Yeah, but it's fascinating because obviously he can only. That's one of the only like purely yeah. human emotions he can express because he's only got the the one eye, and so to have this giant tear come out of his only eye is it, like it's, it's he's using all that he has <laughs> in that yeah. quarter of a face to 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 emote and it's it's impressive yeah we have to we'll have to wrap up just because we will we don't want to retread ground later but just the fact that this is like a nice moment in hindsight for silas where he gets to be like the brave guy and also the brilliant scientist and vic like recognizing both mm -hmm. is, is a really cool swing it's a real cool pivot oh true character he, he he sees him as a father because he looks at him with his human side and then 
here he makes the revelation of he was tagging it. Yeah, he like uncovers his his father's way of thinking. Yeah, neat. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna get this son of a bitch. Uh, enjoy your erect spikes for the moment, Steppenwolf, because you have the Justice League coming to find you in your base. Perfect time for the screen to cut to black with the ominous title, something darker. So, capping off this this real somber but energizing. Uh, conclusion to this chapter as we enter into the final, I guess, explicit part, as as described in the movie. Yeah, and then and then the epilogue comes after. Uh, unbelievable. We have we have two more parts of the movie to discuss. So with that, uh, we will conclude this chapter. We will once again thank people for listening to the podcast, supporting us by listening and subscribing and recommending and engaging with with us on Twitter at JL by the minute. And for those who support the podcast through their dollars as well by going to patreon.com slash Snyder Minute. Yeah, you can also enjoy the bonus additional podcast we record that is exclusively B-roll of us before we record the proper episodes based on the stuff that everyone is talking about that is actually of the moment. Yeah, so much of... I guess this is the closest thing we do to like a current podcast about the industry and... Yeah, exactly. So much of what we talk about, we, we try to make it timeless for the podcast so that people aren't listening to it and feeling like it's existing outside the zeitgeist. But uh, we, we have a lot of side conversations about stuff that is like currently trending. So an hour of us talking about the Snyderverse. Yeah. <laughs> various feelings that fans have about it continuing or not continuing with the actors in other films and or uh how we've ended up yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe just talking about Lex Luthor's P. Like we'll do both. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. If you are able to do it, that is fantastic and a big thank you to those people and a thank you to the people who are who are just listening. We will be back for part 6 something darker of Justice League by the minute. The future has taken root in the present. No, no scrubbing needed. I, I was scrubbing as I watched it.